All right, welcome to episode four of the Firehouse Forum podcast. This is going to be a packed show with four guests, so I want to get into things as soon as possible. But first, I have just a couple housekeeping things. If you go to our website, which is firehousetheater.org, you will see our calendar of upcoming shows. And we have two interesting events coming up. One is a Firehouse Studio show. It's a work in progress called Launching Ships. It's a multimedia interactive theatrical um, event. And it's all about beauty and objectification and preconceived notions of women's roles in society. So that's always pertinent, but particularly relevant in the midst of the current Me Too moment. So that's going to be on Monday, January 22nd at 7.30. Hope you'll come out for that. Then at maybe the opposite end of the spectrum um, is River City Vaudeville, which has comedy and burlesque and for this production coming up, a Metal Kesha cover band. And that will be Sunday, January 28th at 7 p.m. Um, all this information is on our website, firehousetheater.org. Um, check it out there. <clears throat> but before those events happening are happening, um, we're going to have our world premiere opera, or what Joel is calling, Joel Bassin, our artistic director, is calling an anti-opera to Damascus, which is opening tonight in preview. And then for reals, tomorrow, January 19th, uh, we are also having a unique and interesting, we hope, panel discussion on Sunday, January 22nd. Uh, that's, that'll be after the 4 p.m. Uh, performance of To Damascus. Uh, there'll be a short break. People can grab food um, and then uh, in the lobby. We'll have free food in the lobby. You don't have to go out. Um, and then starting at 6 o'clock, we will have a great panel of experts to talk about the show. And this is going to be a show people are going to want to talk about. So um, I hope you will stick around. Um, or if you've seen a previous performance, uh, and you want to come back in just for the talk back, that'd be great. Um, or to see the show again. Um, but we're, we have some great people. There's going to be the Reverend Elaine Cameron Ford, who is the host of Death Club Radio on WRIR. Um, there's David Wojohn, who is a poet and professor at VCU. And also Rich Grisette, who is the opera and theater critic for Style Weekly. So all those folks will be coming in on Sunday the 21st. Now, to the show. Um... We are calling this our Damascapalooza episode because uh, we're going to be talking to three folks who are associated with To Damascus, including Walter Braxton, who is the composer. Um, he'll be on in just a little bit. But first off, in our only non-Damascus segment, I'm going to be talking to Jason Blue Herbert, who will be the sound director, or I'm sorry, sound designer for the upcoming production of the musical Wings here at Firehouse, but is also the technical director at Swift Creek Mill which is opening Arthur Miller's All My Sons this weekend. So let's get into it. Okay, we are here with Jason Blue Herbert, who, has, who is a theater techie. Um, and I say that with great affection. I since hate, I hate the term. Oh, you hate I, it? I hate techie. You know uh, how it came about? No. It was actors demeaning technicians by calling them techies. Oh, really? So I, I joyfully call them acties. Oh, <laughs> that's a good, that's yeah. a good turnabout. Yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> so, well, he is the technical director at uh, Swift Creek Mill Theater. He is also going to be doing uh, the sound design for uh, the upcoming production of Wings here at Firehouse Theater. So uh, we are here to talk about your career 
and uh, maybe a little bit about Wings, but also about All My Sons, which is an Arthur Miller drama that is opening at uh, Swift Creek Mill this weekend. And um, I guess I have to, I, I think it's obligatory. So your name is Blue. That's yes. how you, that's yes. what, what you go by. So where did that come about? <clears throat> Well, way back in high school, uh-huh. uh, oh, how many years ago was that now? <laughs> just, mm, just last uh, week, right? Years yeah. ago, um, my buddy and I were watching the movie Swingers, okay. uh, the John Favreau, uh, Vince Vaughn movie, right? And we're like, man, it's so cool because you know when you're in high school, that kind of stuff is. And this isn't right. like the late two thousands where that swing thing kind of started to come back a little bit. Okay, we're like, hey, we need swing names. So he named me Blue, All right. and then I named him Smokes because he smoked a lot. I mean, <laughs> even be, not even being eighteen in high school, he still smoked a lot. Okay, um, and that just kind of how it came. And then I got to college, and there's already three Jasons in the department. Right. So I was like, okay, I can I'll go by Blue still. And then started doing concerts, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuck. And then when I got to Mill Mountain Theater, <clears throat> I uh. I was like, oh, I can just go by Jay. I'll go by Jay. I got right. there. The carpenter's name was Jay. I'm like, okay, I'll, so, I'll go by Blue. And then I went with the circus, and I was like, it, Blue just kind of came out through that, saved with that. And then, like, you know, every so often, I'm like, oh, I'll just go. Oh, I was going to go by Alan. That's what it was, okay. my middle name. All right. And my lighting systems tech's name was Alan. So I'm like, you okay, were just I'll, stuck. You just yeah. couldn't get away from so, it. So, you know, I've just kind of got to that point now. It's, it's great when I get people who, who call and like, is, uh, is Jason there? <laughs> um, can I ask who's calling? Oh, this is uh, so and so and certain agent. You know, would you like you know, we'd see if he wants to buy something. Da, so da, da, the people da, da. who know you will say, yeah, it's the blue people now. who know me, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. it's blue. Okay. Um, well, you just you kind of <laughs> slipped in that mention that you uh, work for the circus. So yes, the lo- Universal Circus. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Now, in my mind, working for the circus <laughs> is like this freewheeling adventure i'm wondering for somebody who does technical work for it it seems it, like maybe that's not the case it, so. it, it was as I, I can compare it to china yeah as in uh <laughs> okay. yes i went to china with the richmond ballet uh mm-hmm. the technical director there brian sherman said mm-hmm. it was all the positive and all the neg- negative adjectives all at the same time oh wow and okay. looking back at the circus some of it was that right. um i started out going out for an interview and then after two weeks, I go, do I have the job? And they go, well, you haven't gone home yet, so I guess you do. And I, and I go, can I get paid for those two weeks? Yeah, really. Because <laughs> I'm out there, we, I had just lost the job from Mill Mountain mm-hmm. because you, you, know, you go in on your Tuesday uh, staff meeting, and the executive board is there, and they go, we can pay you till Friday. Oh, ouch. And you're like, Okay. Ow. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, I still kind of get that pit in my stomach feeling when I think about it. Sure. And it, the meeting took just too long because they had job tra- transition people there and like, here's things you can do to try and find a job. And mm. the technicians were like, yeah, we can, we can find work. Can we, can we leave now? Can yeah. we go like <laughs> right. cash this check to make sure there's money in the account still? Right. And go looking and start <clears throat> looking and posting for jobs. Yeah. And at that point I was, um, they were also doing Driving Miss Daisy. Mm. And we were in tech for it. So I was trying to skip the meeting, like I usually do for staff meetings. <laughs> and the artistic director came over and he's like, you need to come to this meeting. And then uh-huh. as we're going back to the, to, uh, to, to the theater for the meeting, I went, yep, this is the one, isn't it? He goes, yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you're pretty much broke. You go, out, you go out on this thing. And then, okay, you can, okay, you have the job. And then mm-hmm. I was lighting supervisor. Okay. So I ran the show on a Roadhog full bore. 
which is just this lighting console I hadn't sat behind before. Okay. But I had operated one similar to it. And was this a circus that went around like Oh, a we had our own tent. Or? Okay. Oh, uh, uh, Ringling Brothers is the only one who really has the train. Okay. Um, and I actually got to meet some of those guys whenever we were in Queens. Uh, and I would not want to do Ringling Brothers. Yeah. If you're doing Madison Square Garden, you're loaded in, you're doing your show. Oh, there's a basketball game tomorrow. Load out. Uh, yeah. They do the basketball game. Load back in. Jeez. It is not worth it, in my right. opinion. And I think they made a little bit less than I was making. Okay. Um, and you have to live on a train. Yeah, with um, elephants. So we had well, <laughs> no more elephants. No more elephants, yeah, well. Or is the whole show closing down now? Yeah, I, I think I, the whole I, thing yeah, is kind of... Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Soul Circus, we had some elephants, some horses, some tigers. Um, it was It's the black circus. Yeah. Everyone is from Africa or Atlanta, because okay. <laughs> that's where it's based from. And the acrobats were Chinese. Oh. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I had my first roommate. His, things swapped around a lot. My first roommate was my lighting system sec, the guy who had to fix everything that I broke. <laughs> um, and then uh, I had a guy from, oh, where was it? There's there's a restaurant up the road that 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 sells that kind of food. Um, Ethiopian. Oh, okay. It was Ethiopian, hmm. uh, and that lasted for a while until he was let go. And then after he was fired, he still had to travel with us until he could actually fly home. <laughs> So it was another like three weeks of him not like actually working with us, but he was so much better when he wasn't working. <laughs> it was really weird. And then uh, my last roommate was John, who was a, a tech that we ended up picking up because we had lost some people along the way. So I was the only technician hmm. who did every single show, Jeez. 355 shows in 10 months. Jeez. It was a lot. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's like Tuesday through Sunday. Wow. You know, usually if it's a one if it was a one week sit down, day. it yeah. was it was uh load in Tuesday morning around seven AM. You're doing a seven PM show. Two shows Wednesday, two show Thursday, two show Friday, three Saturday, three Sunday with a loadout afterwards, travel day Monday. Jeez. If you were lucky enough to sit down for a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. it was nice because you had a Monday off. Yeah. But like at some point, I also became the motor tech. So I was in charge of all the motor moves and everything because mm -hmm. we travel with our own tent, install our own motors, lighting truss, any of the, um, any of the, thing, the, the things that moved around in the air, uh -huh. um, the acrobat stuff, the wheel of death, any of that kind of stuff. Like I had to make sure all the motors worked. Man, it sounds like so, you needed to clone yourself. Oh, it was, it was a lot. I, I ended up doing a lot. Um, yeah, even for a little while, I ended up having a follow spot up, up yeah. in the truss, 35 feet up in Texas, above 135 degrees in the tent, in the top. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah. Uh, but we got to stay at nice hotels, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Got to see a lot of... Uh, we even... We did Richmond that year okay. uh, at uh, RIR. Okay. And we made a lot of uh, gullies in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was it was a very interesting tour. Um I'm glad that I did it, that I had the experience, and I'm glad that I haven't gone back. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you get six years of experience in you, about oh, you <laughs> 10 so months. Much. And it, the sad thing is, like, sometimes after even three or four months with, with the tour, some people were like, how does this still go together? Yeah. <laughs> like, you, did, yeah. you put this together last city. Right. Did you forget in a week yeah. what we did? Well, see, there's the people who are the, have the technical know-how, yeah. like yeah. you, yeah. and then there's yeah. people who forget. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah. Um, I know some people who will be listening don't know, will not know what a technical director is. I mean, when a lighting designer, you you know, they might have a sense that it's about the yeah, lights. Yeah. Set, you know, it's about the set. So what does a technical director do? Um, 
if we do our job well, you don't know what we've done. Okay. That's that's the whole idea. You're invisible. Uh, and, it, and it really depends on the theater for what the technical director does. Okay. Um, or, or even the, the, the job as a whole. Uh, there are what I call desk TDs right. and then shop TDs. TD is short for technical director for people out there in radio land. <laughs> um, a desk TD does that. They sit at the desk. They get the drawings from, uh, from the designers. Mm-hmm. They... You know, it's like, oh, look, make it look like this. Sometimes you just get a model turned in. Okay. And it's like, here's a, here's a scale model. Now build this. I'm like, But that's scientifically impossible to build. <laughs> I can't have a platform float in midair off a toothpick. Right. Um, but so you get a drawing of Desk Kitty. It'll draw it all up in AutoCAD or Vectorworks or hand draw it, whatever their, their thing is. And they send it down to the shop. And the people in the shop build it. Okay. And uh, they're also in charge of scheduling, uh, like, you know, crew people in and out, or um, when you're actually in the space, uh, buying mm-hmm. materials and all kinds of stuff. And it also depends on the size of the company you work for. Right. Okay. Um, and then there's shop TDs. Mm-hmm. They'll still do the drawings and things usually at home, and then they come in and they help build in the shop. Yeah. Um, so what are you? I, I am everything. <laughs> uh, I am the sole full-time technician at Swift Creek Mill Theater. Okay. So my background is incredibly varied. Yeah. I started off doing lighting. Um, then I started doing concerts and learned uh, more sound and live sound through that. And then when I started at Mill Mountain Theater, as master electrician, I had one week a show to do lighting. So yeah. the rest of the time I'm in the shop building. So my build skills multiplied considerably. I usually did trap doors platforms and stairs were like my specialty for oh, some reason it was like nice. oh yeah build stairs get blue to do it over there you know whatever he, he can he can take his time doing that mm-hmm. um but at swift creek it's tom with who's our artistic director also our director and our props person and, and set designer and set designer for most of the shows um he'll hand me a drawing usually just a, a plan drawing which is just top down and then i go what's this wall look like What's that wall look like? And we'll sit there and we'll talk about it. And I'll we'll go get materials and I'll just start building. Yeah. Uh, paint it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll get a Sunday to change it over. So the Saturday after our show's close, I have yeah. a crew that I, that I hire in. Uh, basically, it's a lot of phone or a lot of text messages. Who, just, yeah. who, who, who calls, calls anybody? Yeah, who calls right? people anymore? Um, and then usually seven to ten people if I can get it because uh, we're on the second story of a building. Yeah. So it's... Everything goes out, everything comes in, get as much finished uh, until 6.30 as possible, okay. after six stage at 7. Jeez. And then I have about, at least this, this season, I have uh, a Sunday through a Wednesday, they get extremely close, hmm. Thursday, Friday are lighting call days, which I also help out with, yeah. um, and then Saturdays, they're on stage for Q to Q. Wow. So it's Saturday morning if I got to tweak stuff, or Friday if lighting call doesn't go over for two days and I have some time to tweak or this or that. And then Q to Q and photo call on Sunday. And Monday is a great day for me to finish a bunch of stuff that didn't have to be photo ready. <laughs> <laughs> and then clean the house because it's trash at this point. Uh, Tuesday, another rehearsal. Wednesday, invited dress. Wow. Thursday, Friday previews, open Saturdays. So it sounds like it's a little bit of a feast or famine kind of job. It's it, like, it, it is. It's, it's very intense. And it, then, it, it is. It's very intense. And then it's, okay, I'll wait three weeks to get a drawing for my next show. But at that <laughs> point in time, it's, okay, my shop is trash. So I need to clean that right. up. I need sure. to do this. Take a couple of days off. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll, I'll go a couple of weeks without taking any days off. Right. 
And then especially now, like with doing wings, it's like, okay, let me find some time to go <laughs> to, right. to work on this in my off time. Well, and so what are, right now we're doing uh, a show called To Damascus here at Firehouse, and it's got a 16-piece orchestra. So, oh, yeah. Um, our biggest technical challenge right now is finding a place for all these bodies and all their instruments. Um, so that's been kind of an ongoing challenge here. What are some of the bigger technical challenges you've had to face in, I mean, either at the mill or I know you've worked for the ballet or you've worked for, you know, the Maudlin Center? Oh, man, I've worked so, a lot of places. Yeah. Um, everything, every, every space has its own challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the things I loved about touring. Yeah. When, I, when I did concerts, um, and it was, I worked for, when I say I did concerts, I didn't travel with bands. Okay. Um, the promoter would call the company I worked for and say, hey, we're doing a show, we need sound, we need lighting, we need backline, which is guitar amps and keyboards and drums and things. Basically, anything a musician touches that isn't a guitar, because okay. they usually travel with their own guitars. And occasionally I had to provide a guitar, because the, uh, the company I worked for, Morrison Brothers Music, was also a music store, oh. like, a, like a guitar center, sure. but with like a really good production side. And then uh, they also did full scale installs, anything from home theater to like churches and theaters and things. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a they did yeah, a lot full service, full service, and they yeah. also did like instrument repairs. We <clears throat> we had a master woodworker who actually would build custom drums. He actually built a couple of times like a fake piano body to put a keyboard into <laughs> because some salesman said, "Oh yeah, we could build a piano body to put a keyboard into." <laughs> So, of course, the guy's like, oh, man, i got to build another piano body. Why don't we just buy a piano and rip everything out of it? Right. <clears throat> but it was, a, it was a big place. Yeah. Um, and what I loved about doing that work was that every venue had a different challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, you go into a place and you're like, okay, we're going to do the Junior Miss pageant for the state of Mississippi in this theater that has a hemp fly system, which is never ideal. Um who is it? The November Theater, the, the what is it called now? It, Virginia Rep. Virginia Rep, that's mm -hmm. it. Because yeah. it's had like three names since I lived here. <laughs> um, they're still a, a hemp fly system, okay. um, which is neat historically. Um, but does that mean the rope is hemp? Or the what is, uh, is the is rope it? is not hemp anymore. It's a whole counterweight system that okay. you have actual sandbags right. to, to move stuff versus um, arbors and, and pig weight and steel and aircraft cable and all kinds of fun. It's mm -hmm. rope. Tied to a pipe around a pulley, go into the uh, mm -hmm. go into where a guy can pull it, or guys or gals, guys mm -hmm. as a non-gender specific term, right. with some sandbags to help counterweight it, so you can move it. See, that's when I was doing tech stuff. That's exactly that, that's, that's what it is. That yeah, was but now, now not everything. Now motorized fly systems are coming okay, in, yeah. which we were in China touring. It was great. You can say, hey, can you just take that to fifteen meters? Boom, it's at fifteen meters. Hmm, can nice. you make all of those match that? Boom, it's done, and it's one person. Wow, which. You know, it's it's good because you don't have to have as much crew, but it's also bad for the crew people because then they're out of that that particular job. Right. Um, I get it. Like when the Richmond Ballet does Nutcracker, they have eight flymen. Yeah. I believe it's eight. Probably. Yeah. It sounds about right. Eight to nine or somewhere right. around there. They have a lot of flymen. After Act Two, the start of Act Two, they don't really do anything, mm. but they're still there. Right. You know. Um, but yeah, I love the challenges of different spaces. Yeah. I, oh man, everywhere you go. I, the biggest the biggest challenges I have at uh, I was about to say Studio Roanoke no at uh, <laughs> Smith Creek is I gotta get whatever I build upstairs. Oh. <laughs> you know yeah. how big? First, I have to get it out of my shop, yeah. which the cut opening is eight feet by eight feet. But once you put a door frame in there, <laughs> yeah, it's like half it's that. like <laughs> seven foot 
ten, maybe nine and some change by mm. about seven, nine and some change. So you're like, okay, well, if I can build it, then I can tip it to get it out. Mm. Like whenever we did, uh, you must be doing a lot of stuff in pieces. Then. I do a lot of stuff in yeah. pieces. When I when, when we did uh, Tuna Christmas, mm-hmm. the Greater Tuna Christmas, last, not this past Christmas, but the one before, um, I had to build this changing booth section that was twelve feet wide, two feet deep, and eight feet tall. Because oh. I built everything in the shop. Because most most of the flats that I that I use are just four by eight sheets of plywood. Okay. Because that's only three quarter inch thick, versus a built flat, which is even at the skinniest, if I go uh, Broadway style, like a flat flat, it's one inch. Mm-hmm. So that's an extra quarter inch. And when you have 16 feet of depth overall, you're going for every 16th of an inch you can actually get in <laughs> it space. All matters, right? Like how much crossover space do we need? Well, how big is my largest actor is what it boils down to. Tom's like, well, we've got this guy this time, and he's kind of big, so we need at least two feet. <laughs> well, this guy isn't that big. He's like, I can squeeze in. We're about the same. Yeah, 18 inches is fine. So it's like, <laughs> How, yeah, because the less backstage space you have, of course, the more onstage space you have. And sometimes you're fighting for every inch of onstage space. Like, sure. you get a show like Little Lion where there was like, I think, I want to say it was like a cast of 20 or so yeah. on a 40 foot wide by 16 foot deep stage. You're fighting for everything you can get. But yeah, I'll be sitting there in tech going, because it's a whole design team. Right. You know, everybody has solutions from the hundreds of shows that they've worked. So it's like, okay, that doesn't work. Well, here, here's my suggestion. I'm not saying it's the best suggestion. I'm just saying it's a suggestion. Yes, right. I know I'm the lowly sound designer or whatever you want to say, right. but it's like it's a it's another way of looking at something. Right. Does that sound? Why is that sound there? What what is that sound that's coming from something that shouldn't be making a sound? Right. Um, but when different problems come up, you'll be yeah, able to because like, I work probably have a solution to it from some point in time that I've done it. And it's the biggest thing to do though is to phrase it as not a pushy, I know what I'm doing because I'm better at your job than you are right. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's all, it, and it's taken me, I mean, I've been working in the industry for, what year is it, 18? So about 18 years now I've been working in the industry. Wow. Like working solidly in the <laughs> industry. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I've had to learn and work on was my tact. Yeah. And getting things across. Like in high school, my nickname was Sir Tackless for a while. I just didn't care. Right. You know, it's like, and if you're offended by what I say, well, then, oh, well, just become less of a sensitive person. But then I realized, <clears> okay, well, maybe I'm not saying things <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it's getting people to say or, or to kind of understand what you're saying right. and, and how to say it nice, nice enough and nicely so it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, just being a jerk the whole time. <laughs> like, no, well, my way's better because I've done it for 18 years, and what do you know? Right. Like, no. <laughs> well, you have not been a jerk at all <laughs> during the last 20 minutes, so that's great. I really appreciate you coming oh, in. Oh, yeah. No problem. And uh, good luck with uh, all my sons opening this weekend, and uh, we'll be seeing you around Firehouse oh, yeah. once we get cooking with wings. Oh, cooking with wings. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting cooking show. <laughs> Surprise, right. Guy Ferrari hasn't gotten that one yet. <laughs> Got to work on that. <clears throat> All right, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Okay, hi there. Hi. We're Hello. we're here with uh, two people associated with Two Damascus, the brand new world premiere opera that's opening here at Firehouse any day now. It's in pr- it's previewing tonight um, and it will open tomorrow and we hope you all come out check it out i am here with uh, one of two music directors leilani fennick 
Uh, and I am also here with the tenor in the cast, one of five vocalists, Michael David Gray. So I'll give you a little background on the two of them so you know who you're listening to. Uh, Leilani is a professional pianist and vocal coach. She also works with the VCU music program. She's been the music director for shows at VCU like Legally Blonde and The Addams Family. She's worked for most of the pro theaters in town, including Richmond Triangle Players, where she was musical director for The View Upstairs relatively recently. And for Quill, where she was musical director for The Top of Bravery at the beginning of last year. Past shows here at the Firehouse include the Rocky Horror Show, Hair, Desarose, and she received the 2010 RTCC Award for Best Musical Direction for her work on Rent. I loved that show. It was great. That was such a fun <laughs> show. I still play um, a couple of clips for that for you know friends when they want to know what Rent's about. I played oh, yeah. some of the, you know, Joy, it was Joy... Joy Newsom. Uh, Joy Newsom. Mm-hmm. She's got a great voice. Yeah. Uh, so that's Leilani. Uh, Michael David Gray, one of the vocalists for Duke 2 Damascus, is a doctoral candidate at University of South Carolina, as well as a resident company member for uh, Opera Carolina in Charlotte. We bop around a lot, I guess, huh? Yeah. There's a lot of miles on my truck. Bro. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, just a sol- He's got a bazillion credits, so I'll just give you a selection from the 2016-2017 seasons. Um, he played Mansour Vogelsang, and he played The Sailor in Tidewater Opera's productions of The Impresario and Dido. And you can correct me if I'm getting this totally wrong. Dido. 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 Thank you so much. <laughs> I wrote these things. Um, and he played the role of the tiger in the world premiere of Stranger from Paradise with Opera Omaha. Uh, as a soloist, Michael has performed with various ensembles and a number of national and international venues, including the Italian Embassy in Washington, D.C., Pickens Concert Choir in Greenville, South Carolina, and our own Capitol Opera here in Richmond, Virginia. So welcome, guys. Welcome. Phew. Man, <laughs> you guys do a lot of work. Yes. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, well, uh, we're here to talk about Two Damascus, which... You know, this is a brand new show. Not People are not going to be very, very familiar with it. And Firehouse is uh, traditionally a theater venue. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of opera. So um, I wanted to ask Leilani, start out with you and ask how working on an opera is different than working on, you know, your traditional musical theater shows like Rent or... Well, um, I'd say the biggest difference is the voices. The voices are classically trained. Um, They read music, (laughs) which I don't find a lot in musical theater. Um, There's a lot of work with languages. Um, Mm -hmm. So in this show, we have um, English, we have German, and we have Latin. Wow. Um, So a lot of times working on diction, making sure things are being pronounced correctly. Okay. Um, There's a lot more ensemble work. Um, So I think that's kind of like... In a nutshell, okay. that would probably be the... Is it, so is it a little bit of a... Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything mm-hmm. bad. I want to cast aspersions. But um, given that these are classically trained vocalists, is it a little bit of a, you know, is it a little bit easier in terms of, like, you don't have to coach them on getting yes. some things exactly right? It is It is a lot easier. Okay. Um, but it doesn't mean the work is any less difficult okay um you still have to adhere to what's on the page and making sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing and whatnot um so that work i think is still the same all right um 
One thing, and I've already had this experience here listening to rehearsals here, big voices. Big voices. Big, voices. big Is, wonderful voices. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, do you ever have to be like, no, bring it down? Oh, you no. no, there's no bringing it down. There's no bringing it down. There's no need to. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Um, well, so that's kind of the contrast of working with musical theater and working in opera. Michael, you're more familiar working in opera. So this opera is not a traditional opera, from what I understand either. So how is you know, working for this opera different than working for other operas you've worked on? Right. The, I think because this is a new composition, there's a large portion of time spent on discovering the piece and okay. making sure that we're doing exactly what was intended on the page. Okay. Um, so there's a Walter... Um, Braxton, who composed this, there's a, a strong theoretical um, analysis that <clears throat> has to be done before it can be put into practice. So okay. we spend, we coached earlier today mm -hmm. and spent a lot of time, uh, go, we spent a lot of time going through looking at chords, looking at um, where things line up in terms of melodies and harmonies and how they lead into vocal lines. Wow. Um, and in more traditional operas, uh, it's just not as harmonically complex. And that's really a progression of music over the centuries. Okay. And uh, where Walter was when he wrote this is, you know, we reached a level of complexity that um, is f f far surpasses what, mm -hmm. what came before it. So, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and then, so is that process exciting for you as a vocalist or is it a little jarring or how, how do you handle that? It's, well, I mean, it's exciting in, in a way that you're setting the standard um, okay. because this has never been done before. Um, right. So setting a standard, you want to make sure that you're, you know, reaching a level that whoever does this next or if somebody's listening to uh, a recording of it, they um, understand that you really took the time to put this together and create uh, a piece of art rather right. than, you know, just sort of just throwing it out. There. Yeah. Just throwing it, um, throwing it together. But <clears throat> okay. yeah. So, so is there a, and I'm wondering, this may be more for Leilani. Is this, is there some negotiation as that comes together with Walter? Or does he come in with the ideas and says, you need to change this or that or the latter, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the latter, but there is, has been discussions of, you know, times that I've had to change rhythms with the singers because it makes it more natural for them. Okay. Um, times that with notes, you know, it's like, this is just not achievable. Right. You know, it's one thing when it's in your head, it's quite another to actually put it out there. And especially in the time frame that we've had, sure. it's everything's been very tight and right. there's no recordings to go by. Right. So that's the really difficult part about it. Is yeah. that you, you know, normally when you're learning things, you are listening to recordings, you're learning by listening and taking it in over and over and over again. This, it's nothing. Okay. You know, they had to come into rehearsal to actually go, what are these chords underneath <laughs> me and how does it actually relate to my vocal line? Right. So Walter is definitely, um, he's very particular. I can imagine, yeah. It's his about work. What is, uh, it's his work <clears throat> yeah. and he wants to present it in a certain way, um, but he's certainly not off standards that you can't approach him about something and say, you know, hey, we needed to do this. Okay. I hope you're okay with that. And he usually just nods. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So do you end up being kind of an advocate for the vocalist? Absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely. That's always been my job, you know, whether that's musical theater or that's 
classical. I mean, that's, I think the job of a music director is always to stand for your singers, yeah. make sure they're A, singing very healthily, right. but they're also put in a position where they can perform and in comfort. Right. Um, well, so, you want them to shine. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's never about me. It's never about the, you know, it's always about the singers making sure that they're as most comfortable as possible. Okay. Michael, have you worked with a composer on other works, like other original works? Um, yes. Yeah, so, Last spring, I guess, in May, um, so one of the credits that you mentioned, um, I premiered a small role in uh, Stranger from Paradise by Nevada Jones uh, with Opera Omaha, and it was part of the Great Plains Theater Festival. I don't know if I'm assuming mm -hmm. that you guys know what that is. Um, sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he he came in, you know, a day before rehearsal, but they spent, the company spent a lot of time working with him uh, about nine months prior to make a recording and make sure that everything was right. Things were still changed over the months leading up to rehearsal. Um, and there was plenty of, um, you know, discussion about those types of things. Um, so a lot of, a lot of neo romantic influence and minimalist influence in his work was, uh, highlighted through some discussion and, um, the uh, music director, Hal Francis, spent a lot of time um, with us uh, just going over the, the small details, I think. Okay. Um, so it's a process um, in terms of the music. There's st staging, of course, but right. you know, the, getting the music right is a whole separate, um, a whole separate issue. Sure. So. And so I'm curious, you know, I know that there's a lot of, um, there's kind of a, a wide range of uh, literature background and sources for for that Walters brought into, um, you know, you guys are very focused on the music. But do you have you done any of the research, or does that play a part into like you know doing your role or mm. you know putting music together? Do you refer to any of the stuff that he's referred to, or talk to him about some of his source material? So the play that this is based off of, mm -hmm. and the um, I think the book that this a Swedish book, I think is what it is. Uh, so, uh, you know, you do the research that you can, but in this particular instance there, because there are several sources for how this is assembled and it, it is kind of a disjunct, um, storyline. So it, you take those sources, but what is being done on stage is uh, is different from right. what you might read sure. um in in terms of of the background but right. it it still plays a part in just understanding what walter uh was trying to put together right. um originally so well and and so i'm curious about you know i i know next to nothing about opera mm -hmm. um so it seems like this is a piece of new opera and you mentioned, you know, another original work is new opera dramatically different than old opera. What's I don't know what the defining characteristics would be between one or the other. Yeah, I would say it it depends on what era you're looking at in opera. Um, so if if I were to take a Mozart opera, for example, that's going to be completely different from what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. um, Mozart is very, I think it's very friendly to the voice. He kind of eases you in with your vocal lines and um, 
uh, whereas Walter's piece, you, there's every measure is critical thinking. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, and I'm sure the other vocalists would would agree that when we're on stage, there's not a there's not a second where we aren't thinking critically about some tiny detail in the music okay. before our entrance or while we're singing. Um, yeah, so that's, and then Leilani's juggling five of those <laughs> at the same right. time. Yeah. <laughs> so you getting any sleep these days? Leilani? No, no. Well, actually, no, I pass out after every rehearsal. I mean, my brain just hurts. Oh, um, right. There's so much stuff. And then again, what he was talking about is detail mm. is trying to be as detail oriented as possible. And, mm. There's so much in that music to try to digest. And I certainly have, over the time we've had in rehearsal, it, some things become a little more easy to understand. Okay. Yeah. It's going, well, of course that note's the way it is, uh -huh. because it totally makes sense now. When the first time I played it, right. no, it didn't yeah. make any sense at all. Um, it's that part of that discovery process that you're talking yeah, about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you... When you music direct, uh, you know, a kind of a traditional theater musical, musical theater, um, you, I imagine, work, from what I understand, usually work for voc with the vocalist and the band. Mm -hmm. Here, you know, we have, there's a separate music director. Correct, Michael Knows. Michael Knows, who's working just with the orchestra, 15-piece orchestra. Mm -hmm. You're working just with the vocalist. Is that, is that something that um, is great because you can really focus in, or do you miss working with the the band as well? or Well, I wouldn't call them a band. They're an orchestra. Right. They're in yeah. the world of opera. Sure. Um, I do miss that aspect, but at the same time, um, my since I, I got a master's degree in piano performance, and right. so everything was in the classical world. I worked with orchestras. I did all that kind of stuff. And then since then, I've spent you know, 15, 20 years working in musical theater. Right. So working with the band, I'm very comfortable with. Working with an orchestra is a whole new beast. Yeah. So I'm very thankful that Michael was able to actually come in here. He also has a great relationship with Walter. Okay. So um, him taking over the orchestra and doing the conducting of this is a huge thing off of me because, yes, I can focus on the singers right. and make sure that I'm translating to Michael, you know, what the singers need as far as tempo or where the breath is at and all that kind of stuff. But I don't have to do the actual conducting. I'll, <laughs> I'll play in the orchestra, but right. I won't have to be over 15 people and singers. Yeah, it sounds like that would just be overwhelming. It's very <laughs> overwhelming. Yeesh. Well, um, I wanted to get like a... Uh, Point counterpoint between the two of you. So, Michael, with more of experience in kind of traditional opera, mm -hmm. um, we're hoping that some opera fans will come see this show. Um, I know Joel had at different times has called it an anti-opera. So you know it's it's not going to be the traditional opera that nope. a lot of people are going to expect. <laughs> um, but what would you say to an opera fan in terms of recommending this to them? And, you know, getting them to try to come see this. Mm, so, uh, I will say that the the plot line is not as exposed as some traditional okay. <laughs> operas. Um, but what they will experience is, I think, a lot of self reflection in the, especially in the staging. It's going to cause a lot of self reflection, mm -hmm. and you're going to notice you're going to notice the monotony of everyday life. Okay, and you're going to probably interpret that into your own your own psyche and then but what is not monotonous 
is the music. <laughs> so you probably won't walk away whistling tunes. Maybe a co- there might be a couple that a couple. you but yeah. but for the majority of it, it is. I think you said a lot of it is is through composed, mm-hmm. um, which it it's always developing, and that's. I think that is representative of sort of the passage of time as you're doing these monotonous, right? You know, little things. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so it's. It's going to make you think, and hmm. you know I think there's a lot of people that would prefer, you know, an opera or a theater setting that is going to cause them to really, really uh, be analytical. Right. So. Yeah. So the plot's not going to be laid out there in front of you. You're right. going to have to bring a little bit of your right own interpretive skills yeah. or thoughts yeah. to it. Exactly. Okay. So, Leilani, mm-hmm. for somebody, you know, people, this is part of a our theater season here. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who are used to musical theater, what would you say to them to say, oh, well, you should come see this opera slash anti-opera. You'll, here's what you'll get from it. You're going to get beautiful, beautiful voices. Yeah. And you have a fabulous orchestra. Um, you'll have theater magic that's happening on stage. Right. Um, that, um, as Michael had said, was it's self-reflective. It's really you take your own interpretation with it. Right. So it's nice to go to the theater and actually not have something shoved down your throat. Like, you're supposed to feel this. Okay. You're supposed to know this. Uh, it's yeah. really you can use your own senses to create the story for yourself, okay. which is very fascinating. Yeah. And you, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Right. Is it? And, and this is my ignorance because I haven't seen it all the way through yet. Is are there contemplative points in the show? Does it is there is a very is there variations where people are going to be like hit with a lot of you know high tempo you know quick tempo stuff and then contemplative pieces? How's the contrast? Um, the there? tempos range a little bit, but not so much. They they're mm-hmm. definitely everything's pretty um, pretty methodical. I guess okay. is the best word for it. Um, there's a few pieces that, that move, um, but not in your um, traditional musical theater moving. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't, I don't was that, yeah. does that answer the question? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just curious. <laughs> it made me think of, because, you know, Michael was talking about, there's, I know that part of what Joel is bringing to this is like a thought about, you know, daily living and kind of the methodical nature of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering how that, is mirrored or, you know, how that is contrasted or mirrored in the, in the score? Well, I wouldn't say it's contrasted. I think it kind of goes hand in hand in that, um, and there's no quick movements that they're doing. Everything is very, very straightforward and they're everyday tasks that everybody does. Um, you know, so as a watcher and as a listener, um, it kind of pairs together and allows you to have these sensations that you want to have have you um can explore different things while you're watching and experiencing okay sounds interesting to me Mm -hmm. um well i wanted to one last quick question for michael a lot of this is in english which Mm -hmm. you know is not traditional opera from what i understand so Mm -hmm. is that a relief or do you miss you know doing the italian or doing the german i know there's a little bit of german Mm -hmm. i think english is I mean, I prefer performing in English just b- 
because there, I think there will always be a language barrier, no matter how much you study or, um, you know, if you consider yourself fluent in a language, there will always be a little bit of a language barrier if you're a native right. English speaker. Um, <clears throat> so being able to do something in English, you know, we can capture the essence of the language, the stresses of the language, um, a bit easier than we could anything else. So actually less time is spent on the language, whereas in other productions, we right. spend a great deal of time making sure that, you know, the German or the Italian or whatever it is, is uh, just so, okay. so that um, if a native speaker, I mean, in, in this country, you know, we're not always going to have um, native speakers filling the auditorium, but there are, there are, they're still out there. They, you know, they'll, they'll show up and uh, you want to make sure that they understand what you're saying. So you're really, you're doing all that preparation for that one, that one, maybe, <laughs> right. maybe, you know, just a handful of people that, right. that are fluent. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, that, it sounds really interesting. I hope people come out and check it out. Um, to Damascus is what we've been talking about with Michael David Gray, who's the tenor, one of the five vocalists in the show, and Leilani Fly. God, I can say it. I know I can. Leilani Fennick, who is uh, one of the music directors. And thank you guys very much for coming out. Thank you. And thank you. Everybody come see To Damascus. Thanks a lot. Okay, we are here with Walter Braxton. Walter Braxton is the composer of To Damascus, a new opera that will be opening here at the Firehouse uh, on Friday, tomorrow. Well, it's in preview tonight, and will be opening tomorrow night for uh, official. Uh, Walter showed musical talents at a very young age with his first live performance as a boy soprano at the age of five. In 1968, when he was 16, he conducted a performance of the Richmond Symphony Youth Orchestra at John Marshall High School. And in 1992, he began work on his opera To Damascus. Uh, and it's a five act, it's originally a five act opera. We're doing three acts here. And um, we're really happy to have uh, Walter working with us on the show. It's very exciting, world premiere. Um, so you started working on the show in 1992. What was your original inspiration, Walter? Well, it was for a concert at the Richmond Public Library, their uh, Saturday uh, afternoon series every second Saturday of the month. Okay. I put together a compositional recital, my first recital in 1992, which included a Gloria in Latin uh, for SATB, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, and strings. Okay. So I called together a, a five-piece string orchestra, just one player per part. Okay. And four voices, just one voice per part. And we performed the Gloria on a concert there in 1992. It wasn't until 1996 that I decided that, that I wanted to write an opera. You know? hmm. So I included the Gloria in the format of, of the movements. Okay. And um, started off with my gradual first. Okay. Um, uh, I had seen uh, the Fiorenza by Thomas Mann in a collection of short stories. Um, uh, 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 and uh, 
in that collection was one play called Fiorenza okay. that I was very impressed with. So I decided to uh, abridge the form and try to write a libretto based on the play. Okay. And then realized that there was not enough material for a complete opera. Hmm. So then I did some research and I remember having studied Strindberg as a freshman in college, so I went back and did some research and found a play called On the Road to Damascus. Right, okay. And I combined those two plays into a single uh, form, format, and um, that's how I came up with my libretto. Okay. Now, that's that's very ambitious, it seems like to me, to take... I mean, Strindberg is a... That's a big work, and Fiorenza is a pretty, you know, complicated work. So yeah, well, I had some original translation of the Oedipus story uh, from a friend in North Carolina who was a a, a, a literary uh, genius, uh-huh. and um, but we decided to cut that and not use it in the opera. Hmm, okay. So, are you? Have you been working on it? Pretty much continually since 1992, or have you circled back on it? How how has it developed since then? Well, I really didn't start to pick up on the opera again until 1996. Right. Okay. Yeah. After I had begun work with a psychiatrist. Okay. And um, uh, then I could see the the way to go. Okay. And. Uh, so it was all based on the creative process, you know, one idea after another reaching fruition. Right. So And so now it must be it must be exciting to see it all kind of come together now. That's right. It is is very exciting and I'm very pleased with the production so far. Yeah. It looks good. Okay. And um I can't wait to to get some reaction from the public. Uh, it's not as though I've been sitting around waiting to write an opera. I have, you know, <laughs> at least, you know, 15 uh, chamber music compositions. Right. Um, I've got four symphonies and a symphonic ballet. Uh, I have eight CDs that I circulate on, on the market. Okay. And um, I was published in 1991 by an outfit in Salt Lake City called Fanfare Publications. Okay. They published uh, three or four of my compositions, and then five years later, they were defunct. Huh. So. Well, I'm hoping, uh, well, I'm sure the hope, your hope as well as our hope is that, you know, people will come out to see the opera and they'll want to hear more and look more into what you're doing. That would be very helpful. <laughs> so what is your, you know, I, I'm sure it's hard when you're the creator of something new to pick out like your favorite part or something that you're most excited about people seeing. But is there is there a section or a song or a movement that you think people particularly enjoy? Well, I sort of feel like they will enjoy the gradual as a, Climax or an apex to to the uh, to the form. Okay, um, it uses a, a lead soprano voice with four-part chorus and orchestra. Okay, and organ realization. So um, it's a large form, and the soprano sort of guides the orchestra. She sings above them at like a discant. Okay, and. Um, 
the style is not as romantic as I had perceived it. In fact, even the uh, Gloria that I mentioned before is in, in more of a Renaissance style now than than mm. an actual romantic or 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 neo romantic style. Okay. So everything is subject to interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are going to be. Um spending a lot of time trying to interpret, you know, both the both the operatic form and your libretto and how that all works together. It seems yeah. it's... Well, uh, both Joel and I spent a lot of time reconstructing the, the format of the opera to along a storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to rearrange the music so that... Um, so the words would tell a story. We tried to create a love triangle between Fayor, her her husband, and 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 a priest that that she was attracted to years before. Okay, and her husband dies. He's the head of a state in Florence, Italy, in around the turn of the 16th century. Okay, when art is flourishing. And um, he dies, and she wants to pursue a career on her own without the auspices of a husband or or a church. Mm-hmm. So after he dies, she go, she returns to the priest, okay. and um, he try, he tells her to to look for the future of her career in God. Mm-hmm. You know, to open herself up to the universe and make sense from a priest, I would think, uh, and make herself, you know, available to his will for her in 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 this life. Okay, and um, so that's the way the story goes. And at the end, she comes in with one final song, and um, it's up to the audience to decide. Whether she is really truly a liberated woman, mm-hmm. does she overcome her uh, shortcomings, or is there a future for women, you know, in 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 the arts as independent agents, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, or where where are we headed with this, you know, these gender considerations? Okay, well, I didn't I didn't realize you know being set. With with a basis in you know the Renaissance, I didn't realize it was going to attack uh, some pretty contemporary issues. Well, we had to update it almost five hundred years to two thousand seventeen, <laughs> right? And like I say, everything is subject to interpretation. Okay. Well, so do you? Are you? Do you go to the opera that you know that happens in Richmond, or are you? You know, up on contemporary music, or what do you listen to when you're listening to music? Well, I primarily stay in tune with the local FM radio station WCVE eighty eight point nine. All right, I keep up with national public radio broadcasts from the Metropolitan Opera on Saturday afternoons, and um, their programming during the week. I have programs that I listen to. Every every uh, week, and um, I don't get out to the concerts the way I should because I don't have a, a transportation. Okay, and um, there's not always somebody that I can you know go out with. Right. 
So well, um, my sphere of jurisdiction is limited. Okay. Well, maybe we can, um, you know, people come out to see the show and they'll want to take you around to some of the other shows in town. That would be nice. <laughs> well, um, as somebody, you know, several of the artists that I've talked to in different spheres um, are have they have a different um, variety of concern about how their work is received. Some people that you know, a lot of visual artists I know, they do what they like and they don't really care. You know, it's it's they're doing what their bliss. You know, they're following their bliss and um, creating what they want to create. Um, so, and then there's people who you know are very concerned and they want you know their works to be popular. Um, you know, musicians who want their you know want to create records that are heard by a lot of people. So, on the scale from you know really not caring a whole bunch, a whole lot about the audience to caring a whole lot, you know. Where where are you in that scale? Do you really are you concerned with how people are going to um, receive this? Do yeah, you? yes, I am. I, okay, I I write with an audience in mind. I try to, you know, wear my feelings on my sleeve, so to speak. Okay. So uh, I'm breaking down defen- defenses and barriers, okay. trying to speak directly to people's hearts and feelings. Okay. And. Uh, so when you do that, you you ma- immediately set yourself up for responses and reactions and mm-hmm. um, and comportments. Right. So um, so yes, I am very concerned about the audience's uh, reactions to my music, okay. and because it is they who I write for in mind. Okay. Well, um, you, I just found this out the other day that you're actually going to be in the show. Um, you're going to be appearing on stage at the beginning of the show. So hopefully you'll stick around to the end of the show and be able to talk to people afterwards and get their impression firsthand. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. So are you excited about appearing on stage? I'm very excited. I don't have a very big part. I mean, when I started out, I thought I was going to be conducting 18 movements, but I got yeah. cut back to zero. Yeah, well. So, yeah. Um, so I'm glad to be a participant. Well, you know, we're glad to have you as part of the production. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up now, but um, thank you very much for coming in for an interview. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on stage. Well, thank you very much. All right. Take care. All right. That was our fourth episode with the Damascapalooza crew of Leilani Finnick, music director for Two Damascus, Michael David Gray, who is the tenor, uh, and also Walter Braxton, who is the composer. And I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing their perspective on To Damascus. I hope you come out to see the show. And also uh, our thanks to Jason Blue Herbert, um, and who is the technical director at Swift Creek Mill, which is opening All My Sons this weekend. Um, that's it for the Firehouse Forum pod- podcast. Check us out in another two weeks. <laughs>